Welcome to Improv Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed a whole bunch of different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode 22, Coaching, part one. There aren't many guidelines to coaching. One day someone decides that she'd be a great coach or a team needs a coach last second and that person coaches a team. And then they decide to continue coaching that team and other teams. And the next thing you know, that person can call herself a coach. There isn't any training specific for coaching other than doing improv and seeing what you like or don't like that other coaches do. So one of the questions that I asked many of the people I interviewed was some variation on what's your coaching philosophy? I ended up with a lot of material. Too much, perhaps. Even after trimming down a lot of the interviews, with a lot of help from Alejandro Cardona, I still had a good two hours, and so I've split this episode into two chunks. Part one will cover how to coach and what makes a coach great, and then part two will talk about some of the specific difficulties of coaching and go through some exercises. Even if you're not a coach or don't plan to coach, this episode will have some good information with how you can make sure you're getting the most from your coach and your practice sessions. So to start out, I'm going to say that there are some implicit guidelines with how coaches and teams interact that I'm going to make explicit. Consider these the rules with paying and hiring a coach. Number one, if you cancel on a coach within 24 hours of your practice, you still need to pay them in full. That coach may have turned down other gigs in order to coach your team, and by canceling on them, you've deprived that person of money that they could have made. Most people don't make their living off coaching, but some do. And even if you don't, it's still time blocked out to make some extra money. A coach may waive this for various circumstances, but that is up to the coach and the circumstance. Assume if you've hired a coach, you're paying that person once your practice is 24 hours away. Rule number two, have your money ready to go at the end of a session for your coach. Don't use the end of practice, often when the coach needs to have to go to their next appointment, to collect money from each person, each person wondering if someone else has change, and so on. It's a waste of your coach's time. Collect the money ahead of time, or have one person in charge of monthly dues so that person can pay the coach, or just have one person pay the coach and then they can collect money from the team after. But when the session is over, have that money ready so the coach can go, or Venmo them or whatever. Rule three, and this is for coaches. If you, the coach, has to cancel within 24 hours, you're sick, another job came up, whatever, help to find a sub-coach. If you can't, and that team can't have practice now because you're missing, pay for the room. Don't make the team pay for a room that they can't use because you had to cancel. So, now that that is out of the way, first off is Bill DiPiero, who is going to give an overview of coaching and what sort of notes to give. My main goal with coaching depends on what the group is. If it's a practice group, I'm very functional and technical. If it's a team, I'm trying to get them to trust each other and build off of each other. Mm -hmm. I find it easier to coach groups because there's more of a clear objective of what we're working towards. If it's just people I haven't met before, they're walking in and I'm like, and they're like, make me better. Yeah. It's like, I don't know you, so I can't (laughs) make you better at whatever you're things are yeah you know and often it's goes into such personal territory where it's like 
Well, let's address your personal flaws so we can make you better at (laughs) those things. I'm coaching to an objective, Mm -hmm. and I'd like them to define it for me, what they want, but usually people won't do that. So you have to. And to me, that's like a whole coach versus director distinction. Yeah, which, so let's talk about that distinction. Because people only really think in terms of coaches. But I feel like the the thinking of it sometimes as a director, especially if it's a house team or a team that's working on a particular goal, feels like more what we should be striving for. I think that's right. Because with the coaching system, you work at the pleasure of the team. And if yeah. you push them into any sort of uncomfortable territory or, or challenge them in any way that you know one person doesn't like, then you get not asked back. But if you're a director, you can come in with sort of a game plan. Um, in my time in New York, I've maybe had like one or two examples of that. The main one being like when I had just joined Slam Ball, they asked Achilles. Mm-hmm. To direct them and he basically came in with a game plan mm-hmm. every week that was very geared towards the goals that the team had decided and then handed off to him to sort of execute yeah and he was like it was basically the goal was to do more organic open-ended shows where we didn't have a set form or an opening or a way of doing second beats mm-hmm. there were a number of different options uh and he would come in with different exercises each week to steer towards that your question was between coach and director. Yeah. And coach is just kind of like, in my mind, especially like in the house team world, a coach comes in to see, say, this is what you're doing. This is what I'm getting from that. Yeah. Which is different than saying, this is what you should be working towards or given your goals, this is how you should get there. Right. It's more reactionary, which we yeah. feel more comfortable with of, hey, I'm asking this person to watch us for a little bit. They're yeah. going to say some things. We're going to adjust rather than having that very clear vision. To be honest, it can feel arbitrary with a coach and a little unmotivated, yeah. you know, yeah. where it's like, all right, well, I guess I can get better at second beats. And sometimes that's helpful, Where, but I... I find an improv more fulfilling if I'm working towards something larger Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to do something that feels more than just like doing the same shit, but a little bit differently, right? you know, or slightly better. But then it's also just like whenever you do it, it could be worse. you know. But teams are very reticent to just say, we want to do this. Nobody wants to be the person to just step forward and say, let's do this. So then with coaching, you mentioned a little bit uh, descriptive versus prescriptive coaching. Let's unpack this. So descriptive versus prescriptive on coaching. What do you, it, that feels a little bit like the coach director thing that we were talking about in some ways. So what I'm meaning by prescriptive versus descriptive is descriptive was you guys weren't heightening enough in that scene. Right. That's descriptive. Prescriptive is giving someone a note that will make them heighten more right. the next time, which is very difficult. And I often don't know how to do the prescriptive. I feel yeah. like I'm pretty good at being like, that's why that didn't work. Right. But if it's why, if I'm getting someone to that place... It's, and this goes into that other thing I was saying, which was like describing games externally from like as if it were a completed piece versus like describing it from the process of how someone's thinking about it, which is like if I'm playing a game, I'm probably not thinking of it as a like systematic sketch. And sure. if I am, I'm not super present. Sure. And I'm doing that because something's off. But maybe I'm just like, this is my want. This is my belief here, yeah. my point of view. To go back to the descriptive prescriptive, I feel like the way that notes are given are often descriptive. Mm-hmm. And it's not actually connected with 
what a player is processing and doing sure. in the moment where you can sort of like tell someone the end result of it yeah but it's very hard to get into a player's head to be like i think this is what you were thinking yeah while this was going on there's also that disconnect in what's going on in someone's head as opposed to what's going on in a like higher level player's head Right. Where it's like you may not think that much about game when you're doing it, but you've been drilled in that and you know, like, oh, I need to hit this, this and this, that when you're in it, you're in it because that's like in your bones. But that prescriptive thing, that is, I think, the toughest part. Like, how do you get somebody to, okay, you did this thing. What was the I try to think of it a lot in terms of like crux moments and scenes. What was the moment where the scene went like wrong or didn't explode? And it's like, oh, this scene, you guys needed to do blank, right, is kind of the descriptive version. Some of it is, for me, I try to think of it as this is the moment when you could have done this thing. Yeah. Right? As soon as you realized everybody was saying, oh, later on we're going to do this thing. As soon as you hear that phrase later or in you're talking about the future, immediately do it. I think that's often part of it where it's not active. Doing scenes actively is something I push when I'm coaching. And I don't think I really know how to explain what I mean to people. Um, And it's a feeling that I often get where, you know, I think whenever I do a scene that's poor, Mm -hmm. I'll often get notes that are kind of like, we could have done this or this. But it... But really the note is you weren't moving enough. Yeah. You didn't get hot and yell or like you didn't like. uh, (laughs) Right. You know, I feel like when I'm doing a scene that's really going well, like I feel like I'm in it in a way that like my thinking brain goes away and I'm just like more reactive and emotional. It really becomes much more of the don't think ideal. Yeah. Yeah. That was Bill DePiro. Try to make your notes prescriptive. Imagine that you were in the scene or think back to when you've been in scenes like that one. What could you have done to make that scene better? Make your notes portable. Is this a note that can be transferred to other scenes? If it's only useful for that one scene, it's not a great note. No one is ever doing or seeing that improv scene again. Up next is Achilles Stamatolaki. We were talking about commitment in improv, which led to talking about coaching. It's amazing how much of sometimes improv, the problems are just like, you guys just didn't try. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, this doesn't work when you don't commit to it. Yeah. And committing always feels, to me, it always felt like, well, that's the easiest thing to do. I can't be funnier, think faster or anything like that, but I can commit harder. Like, why is that ever our problem? I feel like commitment too is like the first thing to fall off when a scene isn't going well, because the UCB term would be ironic detachment, Mm -hmm. where this silly thing is happening. You don't quite know what it is or you're not fully supportive of it. So you're going to disengage from it and just start commenting on that thing rather than throwing yourself into it. And I think every single improviser has been in that moment, especially if you're like really deep into a show that isn't going well. You're just like, "Ah, I can't, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Um, But the thing that I think is like a tricky thing is with commitment specifically it's not a thing that we work on because so much of it is acting, so much of it is trusting the people on stage, so, mu- so much of it is confidence in your ability to mm-hmm. throw yourself into the scene, to throw yourself into supporting uh, your scene partner. And these are all things that we kind of touch on in 101 with the exercises that we do, but it's not really something that you can, you can be like, okay, let's work on commitment now. Right. Because a lot of it is acting, too. Yeah. 
Whereas our focus is mostly on what's the game? How can we get the most out of the Herald? Like, are we heightening our, our second beats and, and uh, third beats? Are we doing good group games? You right. know, commitment is like one of those things that's hard. That's so we on. end up just kind of saying, hey, be more committed without doing, without finding what's that note underneath either that can make them more committed of, hey, if you focus on this thing, it'll lead you to being more committed or just saying, yeah, this is, these are the exercises that we do that force commitment and force you to put that in your arsenal that's always at the ready. Yeah. And I think that's what coaches can also keep an eye on is when you're giving a note, like you said, you have this large note and then you're giving the note that's underneath that mm-hmm. note. So one thing that like when I was on in a indie team, like practice group, Charlie Sanders was our coach and Charlie Sanders is a very tough coach and mm-hmm. in a good bay. Yeah. But his main note for us always was commit, like commit, commit, commit. And it would always be like, oh, of course that makes sense. But I never like quite got what he meant by that but as you kind of do more scenes and see more shows you kind of define that for yourself and Mm -hmm. i think it's important for coaches to say yeah commit but also how do you do that in a specific uh, way okay so you're committing you're reacting with a clear emotion and you're heightening that emotion in in the scene or um, you're matching your your scene partner and you're trying to outdo them another way you can commit is what's the base reality of the scene just really exist Mm -hmm. in that in in that scene in a way where you're not trying to play the game I think coaches reach a certain level of aptitude when they're doing that next level thing of like hey you you need to do this here here are the ways uh, to do it and I think they're all obviously a lot of good coaches who are like you need to commit you need to justify you yeah, need yeah. to do xyz and they're picking at the right note but they're missing the next kind of level right. of it which i think it's super important especially for young students where they're like okay so how do you right. how do you do that thing exactly it's a, it's a little bit like saying like oh you need to make more of the shots yeah you yeah you're not sinking enough of the shots like okay yeah. yeah, you're right. I should. Yeah, be. I should make. Yeah, the shot was open, and I need it needs to go in. Indeed, no, I didn't yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. it's like that. You're noting the result rather than how to get to the result. Right. And I think that how to get to the result is obviously much more important. You mentioned everybody kind of needing to learn their own way of commitment because commitment mm-hmm. doesn't just mean like I'm acting harder and uh, yeah. every scene being an Oscar moment. What are your ways that you feel like this is how I need to commit? For me, the thing I I like to do is do something physical or do something where I'm really just focusing on reacting Mm -hmm. uh, to the other person and I'm not super worried about game because I know that'll take care uh, of itself so when I feel myself kind of like yeah disengaging or if I notice like oh my scene partner is really like doing something funny and I'm kind of just like a blank slate that doesn't feel good like I so I'm not I'm I'm in the scene I'm engaged in the scene but I'm not committed let me do something physical let me uh, have a huge reaction to this let me play this scene with more mellow drama those like kind of small things help me yeah stay engaged in the scene because yeah it, it is a little bit hard to tell students that because they're thinking about so many things but for me since like i know when to catch it when i'm doing it Mm -hmm. i can kind of just be like oh i need to make this adjustment right Right. now like oh my god this person's really spinning plates (laughs) up there and i'm just kind of watching um let me jump in and, and be as emotive and physical and intense as they are that was achilles one thing that i found helps me as a coach is As I take notes, I often make marks next to my notes for a scene when that scene is over or almost over. I'll put an empty square next to the most important note and maybe a bullet point next to one or two other notes. 
If I have big notes for each person, I'll put an empty square next to the note I have for each person. Then, when I'm giving notes on the scene or on an entire show or set, my notes aren't a laundry list of, here was everything good and bad about the scene. That's too much to focus on and too much to bring into the next scene. Instead, I can talk about the one important note and give that one note, check it off my paper, and then leave the other smaller notes in the back of my head. Those notes often become the things that I use either for personal exercises. For instance, I've noticed you do this a lot. For instance, in this scene, you did this. And in this other scene, you also did this. Or there are little things that I can be on the lookout for in other scenes to see if it's a bigger note than I realize. Perhaps that one tiny thing is reliably keeping that person from having fun scenes. But those are the smaller notes. Maybe I'll mention, maybe I won't. But really, I'm focusing on the one big note. Keeping things to one major note per person per scene helps that person digest the note and gives me more time to explain how to fix it. Rather than, you didn't agree with your partner, your object work was bad, I couldn't hear one of your lines, the Civil War ended in 1865 and not in 1875, blah 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 blah, I can instead say, your partner offered the gift that you were late for work, and you said you weren't. From there on, the scene got difficult. So next time, anything your partner says, I want you to agree with it. Every question mark they offer should prompt a yes from you. You don't have to be glad that you're saying yes, but you as an improviser are saying that's true, even if you as a character are saying, but I'm not happy about it. Now that's a longer note than my original full list of things, but it's focused on that one thing that I happened to think was the most important thing for the scene. Later on, I'll work with that person on stage presence and object work, and I'll make them watch all 72 hours of Ken Burns' Civil War. But for now, agreement was the important note, so I'm not even going to mention those other things. Up next is Lily Do. When you're coaching, what are some of your big, like, this is what I think I bring to coaching. This is what I want to see in scenes or in teams or like that. I'm best for more advanced teams, like, with a mission, whether that's, like, to put on a good show at, like, cage mm-hmm. match or to, like, learn a new form. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they're already, like, all pretty competent and then I just have to target a thing, and then that's easy. I can come up with new exercises. I can talk to other people because I'm pretty analytical. So then I can really try to target that and kind of just make small adjustments on things that they already like know how to do. Which does make it much easier as a coach anytime a team comes to you and says, like, we want this. And it's yeah. like, oh, thank God. Out of every million things I yeah. could have done with you, now we're on this one yeah. road, and I just have to worry about how do yeah. you stay on this road? So maybe I'm just saying I'm good at coaching everyone's ideal circumstance but i think people don't think of how much that then makes it easier for the coach which therefore then makes it much better for you as an improviser who's receiving this practice yeah it is harder for me with like a 301 or 401 because sometimes i'll be like what do you want to work on and if they're just like pattern game two hours i'm like great Mm -hmm. but usually it'll be like we want to work on agreement and pattern game and game and finding the game faster and also resting it and i'm bad at focusing my brain on being like i'll say okay but really we'll just work on this one thing i don't know if i'm great for morale for a group that's really kind of not getting it and kind Uh of bad and struggling i can't be like 
great job after a really terrible set. I have right. to just like note them honestly. I won't be like that was shitty, yeah. but I feel like they could tell in my notes. Right. And oh, I, yeah. I often struggle with that same thing because I feel like I'm often pretty blunt with notes that I worry like how much should I be like a cheerleader? And I don't think teams need it as much as sometimes we feel. Really? Some do. I don't know. I, I disagree. Don't know. I feel like so much of improv is just what you're bringing in like psyche and morale wise and like mechanics is sometimes almost like instinctive that like you are there to make them feel like they can function as a unit yeah. and like they, that they can do it. I guess I, I think of it in two halves yeah. of like sometimes it is just I want to do function stuff and sometimes yeah. I am much more of a let's be cheerleaders. Sure. Let's just have. Yeah. I think it's yeah like what they need that time but I definitely think like. I would prefer a group that already has the morale and the mm-hmm. self-confidence of being a little more experienced or around so that they can take the notes and we can just really work on stuff. Right. That was Lily Do. If you have a goal for your team, tell your coach that. If you don't, tell your coach that and maybe they can come up with a game plan. Often with a team I haven't coached before, that happens after warm-up scenes. I think about my main notes during the warm-up scenes, and I give them some exercises to work on those things. And then I do more scenes to see whether they've started to internalize those notes. But if you know you're a team that exists to do blank, tell your coach that. But if it becomes that laundry list of we want to work on blank, 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 it might be better to say we want to work on scene work and let your coach figure out which aspects of scene work to focus on. Up next is Devin Ritchie. Yeah, I think I've had a lot of success being like a fun coach, you know? Yeah. Like, um, like I really just try to have fun for a while. And then like before I get to like down and dirty notes, it needs to be comfortable. Like so many things that we do at the UCB in classes and with you know, some coaching, mm-hmm. it just tends to be like pretty mechanical and scientific. And I laugh a lot. You know, Same. I laugh a lot. I remember uh, Distant had like a, when he was like writing up his Herald thing, he like wrote up a bunch of notes for himself and we were like sharing notes because I also oh, nice. write up a bunch of notes for myself. And one of his first bullet points was... Notes for yourself as an improviser? Uh, as a coach. Okay. As like, these are things that I, people have done with me that I, exercises people have done on teams I've been on that I liked. Uh, and I just like started keeping track of it and things for me to remember as a coach right. that like don't fall into this trap, don't fall into that trap. And yeah, one of his first ones was laugh. It puts people at ease. You got to laugh and you got to be silly. And that's why I, I like people to like share a little bit about themselves so we're not like absolute strangers at the top of it. And I also sometimes I say something where I'm like, I can't get you on Herald Night. Like, do not like, do not be afraid of me. Practice is somewhere right. where we should feel free to like make stupid choices. And sometimes like, sometimes people do make mistakes. So I'm like, well, don't say that. But right. like, this is a safe place to try, you know, and you better he- find out here than in front of an audience, you mm-hmm. know? Um, um, so that's fine. I reward people trying stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think you really have to set like a very comfortable room because like sometimes the room was not comfortable for me and I felt like I was like very much performing for one person. You know, no matter what, I'd be like, I know they can get me on Harold. <laughs> Right. No, they can't. And it seems like you treat practice a little bit in that kind of physical way of, hey, we are going to warm up. We're going to do some scenes. This mm-hmm. is reps. This is like yeah. the analog of going to the gym almost. Yeah. And I'm like, I need you guys to feel like you did get a workout today too. And I also find that while we're talking about physicality, if people are in their head, get them in their body then. Getting them to play physically is like they'll forget. They'll be like, oh, I was doing that. And I'm like, now scenes. And they're like, 
oh my god, I wasn't thinking. I'm like, that's the whole point. Yep. Like, you weren't supposed to be thinking. And for some types of improvisers, they need to get like really physical to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really try to run it like, this is a gym. Leave everything back at home and talk it out right before we go. We're going to do 100 scenes, like, or we're going to do 30 scenes right before we <laughs> right. start. Uh, I've, I've considered with one group just like doing that, the whole exercise of just like, just doing like 300 scenes right. all day. I'm like, that's mental stress for me. Yeah. Um, but then like, we need to work on some longer packages and we need to like run those like as much as possible and find out. I, I like to run diagnostics on a team. Where yeah. I'm like, just before we do anything, like, let me just see what you guys do. Let me get a feel for like how your team is. And then I also really like to have a conversation with them i like to be like what do we want to work on and they'll be like oh whatever you want i'm like no no you have ideas so like and i want to hear from everybody and i want to be like something bugging you heightening listening any opening that like is grinding your gears playing fidelity you know like feel free to talk about it like let's open something you know and they always have something to say because they made this team theoretically they're paying for the room and me you know, they made this team. Yeah. They have a couple ideas about what we could do. I'm like, now I'm not trying to get you to know each other. At yes. All, but like, let's talk about what you want to do. And then I occasionally stop and have a conversation with them. And I'm really like, everybody sit down. Like, everybody just like, chill for a minute. Get a water. You need to check your phone if you want. But like, let's talk about like how we like certain forms, yeah. how we play. How to Describe to me how you think you guys play. You know, and then I also like one of my favorite things that to talk about is just like, uh, what's game? And they're like, oh, you know, and I'm like, well, let's make sure we know and make sure that we as a team are on the same page about what we think it is. And it's usually pretty close, but like, I like really like plastering it on the wall and just yeah. being like, this is what this team thinks about game. Yeah. I don't even try to answer it for them necessarily. So each team then has their own because they have their own voice, it's like they have their own slight def- change yeah. in definition. And of game. so, like you know, and some teams play a little more world games, and some right. play play a little more like personal behavioral games and stuff. And it's whatever you guys want. And like yeah. everybody's pretty close because everybody did take some yeah. ECB, and they're like, it's an unusual thing that happens. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, it's the pattern. It's the funny thing. It's the first thing you laugh at. For some teams, it's not the first thing you laugh at. Yeah. And for some people, like they're like, uh, they'll go a few unusual things before they get to the real meaty one. Yeah. Is it something that is like world or behavioral? And so I really like to run some diagnostics that are like, let's play this with fidelity. Let me give you your premise like, and play this as straight as possible. And then everybody look for an unusual thing and raise your hand when you get one. Right. You know, and just so you can kind of see them work and develop and see, okay, let me pinpoint exactly. And then they're like, and they'll raise their hand and be like, oh, is it because they're holding their pen weird? I'm like, I don't think that's enough. Yeah. So I really like to just like really get, I make them say what game is, you know, I'm like, we've taken a lot of class. You've spent enough money to find out what game is. Let's like really be clear about it yeah. and be clear about like what your little improv philosophy is. Yeah. I don't think people realize they exactly have them until like they're put on the spot about it. And they're like, I guess yeah. I feel this way. Which is one of the advantages of coaching. Like when I started coaching, especially I found like, oh, I have to, I had this from talking to all of my friends constantly about improv, Yeah. but it really refined that of, oh, and I'm now saying this too. Yeah. And like, it changes the way you do improv. Yeah. I am a much more supportive player because I'm improv, like, because I'm coaching improv. So I'm like noting it all day mm-hmm. long. I'm like, support that, make that look cool. And I've really tried to take that home with me. But when like, I do something on stage that I feel like, oh, I just previously noted somebody that day about, I I feel viscerally bad. I do too. I'm like, oh, they're, they're here too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're definitely at the show. That was Devin Ritchie. By the way, here are some of the notes from Sean and I that we wrote for ourselves and then passed 
to each other and around. Sean wanted me to give the caveat that it is an old document. The version I have is from 2013. So we all change our thoughts and what we focus on and how we present different things. But it's still great advice. So here it is. First, every team needs a game plan. It requires discussion. A unified game plan is important for getting the team on the same page. In sports, that's called team identity. Teams play to their strengths. Here's another one. Be Coach Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Always be focused on where the team is in the process. Don't skip steps. A herald is built in order. By the way, I should say, at the time, he was watching all of Friday Night Lights, so when we talked about coaching, it was often in terms of, this is what Eric Taylor would do. The next one, build up your players. Make them feel confident in the system. Tell them the things they are doing right, as well as the things they're doing wrong. Also, reps, reps, reps. Repeating exercises and doing tons of heralds is the only way to get consistent. And finally... Having fun doesn't always mean being silly. The most fun thing is when you do something right and create magic. That takes discipline and hours of unfun practice. Those were some of Sean Diston's notes from his coaching document. I was going to read some of the notes from my old coaching document, but I realized it's all stuff that I've either said or has been covered by other people here. So I'm only going to say one of them because it could use some emphasis. You are not giving notes on a scene. You are using a scene as a diagnostic tool to give notes to the performer. Next up is Chris Scott. When a team comes to me and goes, like, we want to do a mono scene or whatever, I definitely try to figure out, like, what they like about it yeah. from watching it or doing it. Because, like, if you're doing a mono scene, super simple form in theory, mm-hmm. do you like because it's slow and patient? Or do you like playing 100 characters that you pile on and get to chaos? Right. Or do you like more drama? Do you like being able to like play, do a little bit a little bit more narrative? Um, so I definitely need to figure out what they are focusing on. Which is a question most people don't like ask themselves and coaches don't ask teams. Oh, like, oh my god, yeah. All what the time do you like? like? Yeah, what do you like? And they're like um... We don't have the words to describe it. it. It's like, why not? Yeah. And so even when I'm asking like, well, what teams do you like? Yeah. It ends up being like the three there's three weekend teams. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and then it's, what do you like about it? Uh, I don't know. They they trust each other and play well together. I'm like, all right, good. Well, that's Improv. why you're on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People don't think about it. I yeah. start a lot of my coaching sessions. I know this is going to ring true and it bothers mm-hmm. every person I coach. Is I often, if I'm not like super clear on what I want to do that day, I'm like, does anybody have any hope, fears, dreams, ideas, thoughts mm-hmm. about improv? And they all go blank. Yeah. <laughs> There's maybe one person who's like, oh, I'm struggling with this. Rarely do people, though, I saw this thing I was excited about, or I'm excited about doing this. Right. Which does bother me. How many times in practices people are coming to solve problems? Yeah. As opposed to exploring. Yes. Pushing and exploring. And it's a little bit, it's a view of practice as an addendum to class right of like hey my teacher gave me this right i'm doing this thing right make me better right rather than oh this is this is our other thing right we had this this is just free studio time you have you have now two to three hours yeah to do whatever you want yeah and you're with a unless it's like a practice group for a class sure you know something else which is out there you're going great let's hit those things and get reps in um god this is the practice your indie team should be the time where, or even your house, it should be yeah. your house team too. Should be the time where you're like, let's push, let's do, explore. Yeah. Even, and I'm not saying push like you don't have to reinvent improv. Yeah, but do the thing you always wanted to try. Yeah, and feel open about saying 
this is something I've always wanted to try, even mm-hmm. if it's super specific. That was Chris Scott. Now here's Jenny St. Angelo. What are some of the things that as you started to coach, you realized this was something that you wanted to get better at? In terms of how I coach? or yeah. Okay. I think being able to look at very talented people, be funny, but still working really hard and figuring out, okay, it's a funny scene. It's successful in the sense that we're all laughing, but they had to work hard to get there. How do we make this easier on you so that your natural funny ability can come out without you having to like muscle through it? That's been, that was like one of the big first things was, was figuring out because I coach a lot of really funny people. It's, yeah. al- it's almost easier if someone's really, really bad. Because you can go, oh, let's just work on agreement. That's a very simple, basic thing. But when, but when a lot of those skills are like in place and mm-hmm. the scenes are st- still might be hard or you're overthinking or you're getting stuck in some way, I think that's, the, that, that's always been like the fun challenge as a coach that I've wanted to get really good at it being like, I see, like, oh, in this moment, like, right. you just didn't make eye contact, so you missed this moment, right? Like, oh, cool, are you checking in with your partner? Or whatever, like, mm-hmm. the small stuff is to make, to release the blocks. That was Jenny St. Angelo. I love that idea of making it easier on the players. You're not there to give sage advice from on high. You're there to help them out, make their lives as improvisers easier and better. Up next is Liz Noth. I think the hardest thing coaching is dealing with like ambivalence. (laughs) Ambivalence in improvisers or in yourself? In both. Showing up, making sure you're showing up with an open heart and empathy to help. Mm -hmm. And then also when people are having like a difficult week or difficult moments, or maybe they're feeling like they're not sure if they want to be there and it's clear to other people, which everybody, you know, we've all had weeks like that. That's definitely the hardest is just like moments where people feel maybe less eager to do the work or over it mm-hmm. <laughs> that's hard to navigate when you when you give an exercise suggestion and somebody sighs and like oh we have to do five minutes of that right that's really hard that's hard <laughs> noticing somebody sighing is such a very like coach thing to do because i feel like we're like sitting in this chair and we're like acutely aware of every like emotional cue coming from all like eight or however many people yeah that yeah just like navigating that of like when do i need to back away from it and when do i need to like push into it i find very difficult yeah me too and maybe that's not the best answer to your question. Like when people have bad days and are mean, but it, no, it is because a lot of people do just come in and like, okay, we're going to work on game, do a bunch of sets. Okay, great. Uh, where's my, uh, you know, where's my money? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's fair to like have a really bad day. I remember I was coaching a team. I really love an indie team and a girl, there was like when, the day that Harris Whittles died. Mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot about Harris Whittles at the time. And she got like a, a notification on her phone and, and it was like somebody who was hugely influential yeah. to her. And I didn't know what to do. And in retrospect, I now I know like if something happens during a practice, like you got to take a break. Yeah. But I was like, let's push forward. Right. It was like totally huge lack of empathy. So like having empathy for where people are at exactly. Having empathy for when people argue notes with you to just realize, okay, this isn't a bad person. <laughs> like right. they're in an emotional state right now where it's they feel defensive about yeah. their move and they want to make sure that they feel a sense of belonging. That's the challenge for me is just like not villainizing people for having a bad moment or a bad reaction or a bad attitude in that mm-hmm. day because we've all had that. How do you handle when somebody does like push back with notes? 
I definitely try to compliment the person Mm -hmm. because chances are if I'm giving you a harsh note, I believe in your ability, which I think is true of the coaches that I've had coming up. So I I definitely try to like build up that person. And then I just say like, take it, take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. If it happens a lot, I will just very directly say like, it's not, you know, it's not helpful to argue back notes. It's just not helpful. If you have an opinion, if you disagree with something, like truly what's best for you is to think about it in your head and think, I disagree with this and then you know not take the time to argue (laughs) you know it's just like oh that person has a different opinion than i do i disagree with what they're saying you have every right to disagree with me yeah i've disagreed with plenty of the coaches that i've had and the whole point of this thing is really notes right yeah the whole point of having a coach is getting honest feedback that was liz noth learning how to receive notes is a huge part of becoming an artist in any discipline anytime you disagree with a note Give yourself some time to set it aside and then come back to it and ask yourself, is this note actually correct? Do I think the note is wrong only because I want it to be wrong or because it's wrong? If you still think the note is wrong, ask yourself, what made the coach think that? Was I doing something else that led to that note? This happens, for instance, a lot in writing. You'll get notes back from people who say, Oh, you never described the doctor's office, even though there's a half page of description of the doctor's office. So the note is objectively wrong because they're saying you didn't do something that you did, but it's also not wrong. The person reading that didn't register your description of the doctor's office, which means that there's something lacking in that. That happens a lot in scenes. You'll get the note, you didn't justify this and you think you did. Then in that case, maybe your justification wasn't clear, like you may have said it too softly or said it over somebody else's line. It may have been something that the coach didn't think really justified your behavior. In which case, if you hear the note, you didn't justify it, and you know you did, ask yourself, did I? Or I did, but it didn't make it clear, which means the justification didn't do the work that it should have. It didn't tell the audience, the coach, that this is why they can have fun doing that thing. So even if a note is wrong, ask yourself, what can I get from that? In improv, often if you get that note that you think is wrong, it's because you emphasized something wrong. It is still an actionable note that you can use to make yourself better, even if it's not factually correct. For more on notes, here is Lou Gonzalez. Figuring out your voice, I think a lot of people who take classes have an agenda and they don't see the forest beyond the trees. Mm -hmm. They're just like, uh, I want to get good at this thing. And so your focus is to get good and so therefore you're going to be hard on yourself. You're going to be critical uh, and you're going to read every note that a teacher gives you as fact. And I just want to let you know that not every note that you get is a good note. Uh, I would say for 30 to 35% of the notes that I give could be thrown in the garbage. Just like any teacher, um, because you are approaching it mostly from your mindset and what you see. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's in a student's head while they're doing it, but I don't have the time to do that breakdown. Yeah. But I'd love to at some point, (laughs) I'd love to like with a team and just being like, hey, what are you? Yeah. You know, let's really break this down. Let's figure this out. Because I I think it's a waste uh, sometimes when I'm coaching to just give like these superfluous notes. And I give them because I'm like, I don't don't know what else to give. 
But I think the most positive moments I have is was like, okay, let me just tell you some shit. Let me just drop some shit yeah. on you right now. And I feel like those are more positive because it's just like, okay, the they feel you know, yeah. less, they feel more relaxed, yeah, more comfortable to to be themselves. Yeah. The worst note or the note that I'm t- very tired of hearing being given to other people is the like, you should play more characters. Which always feels like a like a not note, like of just kind of like, oh, I don't know what to say to you, so I'm just gonna say. I, I also I also wonder what is the impetus of that note because I feel like some notes are given, and I think the person giving the note is veiling it under something. Yeah, and I feel we're doing a disservice to people not being honest with them. Yeah, I'm not interested in getting you to hire me again. I have no yeah. interest in that. I think I have a luxury that I don't have to use coaching as an income, and mm-hmm. so. It's just one of those things where it's like it's emotionally draining mm-hmm. coaching because you're investing in, in a person in the moment and you're in the scenes with them. But I think you get more positive results that way. Yeah. It takes a while to get past that point of looking for the like affirmation and wanting to get hired back. But because you're in a very weird position of, oh, yeah, you guys are going to pay me money. And if you like me, you'll bring me back. But if I give you notes that you might need, some people just don't react well to that. Some people don't react well. Yeah, some people don't react well to notes. Also, certain certain people don't vibe with teams. And that's fine. Like There are certain people who I think are incredible coaches that just didn't vibe with the manic room or just didn't vibe with a Lloyd or Mm -hmm. Harold team that I was on. And that's fine and that's okay. We just have to be aware enough to just say it yeah you know i'm a very direct person positive or negative i just am but it's made my life easier right. <laughs> like you know where i stand but also there are ways of saying things <laughs> as well as like hey don't be a prick about it right uh, you want to be able to tell someone something but not in a manner that's insulting mm-hmm. or degrading you know uh, have empathy. <laughs> so there's that whole balance. Right now, like, you know, I'll sit in and, and coach a Harold or a Lloyd mm-hmm. team, and I can see certain people are just not vibing with a note that I'm giving while other people are. Yeah. And then it's really like, okay, which one of you is going to speak up on how you feel about right. that? that? And when is and how is that going to impact? Because I've had teams ruined because someone doesn't like a coach. Yeah. That everyone else likes or vice versa. Sometimes you just got to take the bullet. There was a time with Mannequin Room where we had a coach that I wasn't necessarily vibing with. But the others were. And so I'm like, okay, cool. As long as they're doing it, I can still do me and know that these notes don't impact me or hinder my development as an improviser. Yeah. It's hard to have that assurance in yourself though. And it's also it's connected to the whole like disconnecting coach team hierarchy as like some people are like they never want to be coached by their peers or like who they view as peers yeah. and that kind of thing and it becomes much more of like oh I need a guru giving me this like the Will Hines advice that changes yeah. instead of just like oh no this is another human being who's making their best guess they're often very educated guess about what it is but yeah it's fine to like take or leave what they give take it all in and listen to it and see how it affects you i mean the reason why i liked will wasn't because he was a guru it was because he talked to me like i was a peer yeah will will was like uh 
Well, what do you guys think? We had that one class where he was talking about pattern game, and he had this whole like long speech of like, I want you guys to do this, this. We did it, and it sucked. It sucked, and then, yeah. And then he was like, I'm going to get up and try it with you guys. And yeah. then he like did it, and he was like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to change this a little bit. Yeah. I think it's also, uh, I'm, the coach is like, well, how invested do you want to be in this? Yeah. How much time do you want to spend thinking about this? And I think each person has their own level to that. And I yeah. think... I don't think there's any wrong or right. I think there just is. And so anyone could learn from anyone. Mm -hmm. You just have to give them the opportunity in the space. And so like the whole peer, the whole peer thing is more of an, is more ego driven. You know, it's definitely ego driven. It has nothing, it has nothing to do with any validity whatsoever. It's just, you don't want to hear from someone who you possibly think you're better than telling you what to do. That's what it is. Right. That's really what it is. It's just, it's ego. And it has no place. Yeah. For me, it has anyone who brings up things like that. I was like, well, then you have no business doing this. I'm sorry. Because ego, like, take your ego and throw it out the door. Because you're you're going on stage playing pretend, motherfucker. What are you, who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to impress? I don't get it. Yeah. I really don't get it. Why is this, you know, like, especially it used to be too with the whole hierarchy thing. I'm on the weekend. So fucking why? Yeah. Because we were around for a while before we got on teams. Yeah. And it kind of made it by default getting on a team or even like for me being on like a bunch of indie teams. It was like, oh, it's always going to be my peers or people who have been doing it several years before me. But because it's not like this person is better than me, this person is better than me. It's like everybody has their different thing they're good at. Yeah. It was always like, oh, I'm going to steal something from this person. Yeah. I might not improvise in the way that they do, but there's going to be something. And we all learn from our peers. Yeah. We all learn from our peers. We just learn from them by watching them perform. Yeah. If your ego is going to come up in something so small as a coach, then I know it's coming up in performance. Right. And I know it's coming up in day-to-day activities. And I listen, ego ego is part of just who we are Mm -hmm. and so but if yours is so bullshit that that's a problem for you then you know go away you know (laughs) just go away go away and do your one-man show yeah because that's what you want that was lou for more on getting coached by your peers here is sebastian Canelli. because almost anybody in anyone in lloyd and beyond yeah and almost anybody probably in advanced study yeah knows enough like we're all pretty much on the same page with like 90 percent of it yeah some of us may be better at like articulating it or know better exercises to like get at that but most of us yeah we're just that outside view and it is like usually it's just the honest feeling that you had after the scene i didn't know i didn't know how you felt about her yeah (laughs) right and like literally anyone off the street could kind of if they like thought about it for a second and just went with their gut, it would probably be the right note a lot of the times. Even justification, I, I think a person would be like, uh, why are we doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I guess like, yeah. I guess improv rules, they kind of like reverse engineered like what they felt like the scene, like, oh, I liked it, except this, I didn't know, you know? And then they like kind of work exercises like that. But just to get eyes on the scene and get notes like after a show, I think that anyone could kind of like at a certain level do that. That hierarchy view I find so strange. And maybe it's just because I've been around for a while and I don't like, I don't really have a set. These are my peers. These are not. Of course it blurs. It blurs. And it doesn't really make any sense to me, especially as somebody who tries to steal from everybody. I want, I want those like different views. I know. 
I don't I, I don't get it. I th- I I do think it's younger students. Mm-hmm. I think that the more you mature, the more that you realize, oh, this person's good. Uh, yeah. You know, this person's great too. I think there is a lot more like Harold Knight people coaching Harold Knight people. Yeah. When in the past it was weekend team people coaching Harold mm-hmm. Knight people, which I think is actually a great. Who knows Harold Knight better than Harold Knight? People? Exactly. Who knows it better? Like. I think that's the way it should be. It should be someone – they're in the trenches then and yeah. they're experiencing it too. And they're, they're doing their three-hour rehearsals. They're working on something. Your guys are working on something. Yeah. They probably have a better understanding of the Harold than a weekend person in a lot of senses because I'm on the weekend. I don't do a Harold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I don't do second beats. Are you kidding me? It's like, like we just blow everything out yeah. instantly. That was Sebastian Canelli. Now here's Ray Cordova. There are people who are like, they can't wait to coach. And they're coaching like, you know, and they just got into advance. Exactly. Or like, or, or they just passed for a while. Not even sure they're in advance yet. And they're like, they're like I, I'll get like a message like, this person wants to join improv coaches or whatever. And I'm like, right. oh, hey, Ray, do you think you can help me? I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, I'll be happy to help. But I'm just like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know. Speaking for myself, I never wanted to coach. And yeah. I'm saying, and you don't have to be on a house team to coach. But I will say like, my mind was just like, I'm not comfortable helping anyone with the Herald mm-hmm. if I can't even get a call back for a Herald audition. That's just how, that's how I felt about right. myself. So I just see people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm coaching now. I'm just like, wow, that's great. Yeah. Like, I never – I think for me, I felt like if I can't really get a hold on this, I don't feel comfortable helping someone else get a hold of this right. shit. You know what I mean? But people are out there just coaching and, and they're like – and they're charging too. I'm like, oh, okay. When I, I think when I first – first of all, the first time I ever coached, I did it for free because I didn't trust – I didn't yeah. know. And I didn't want to be bad and they paid for it. So the first time I did it was for free. Actually, a good friend of mine who I got into improv and he had a practice group and I coached them. And the first thing he said was never do this again for free. <laughs> so I was like, cool. Yeah. 15 bucks an hour. <laughs> I still was like, yeah, I didn't want to charge yeah. a lot. Because I was like, I don't know. I don't want to you know, mess up someone. But it's, it's amazing how much you learn on that side of it, too, being yes. a coach. Shout out Classic Brady, who I coached for like eight, nine months. And like, I definitely, was first that first month or two, I definitely got over my coaching hump as far as like, like finding my own style. Yeah. And wrestling with like, do I side coach? Do I not side coach? How much do I side coach? And yet, you, sometimes you have to read the room. Because there are some people who just don't like it. Mm-hmm. And there are some who absolutely need it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and you know that. You just have to kind of fill out different students and who you're coaching and all that. That was Ray Cordova. Again, no one tells you when you're ready to coach. You have to decide that for yourself, and everyone is going to make that decision a little bit differently. If you think you're ready and other teams think you're ready, then great, you're ready. But if not, don't worry about it. Keep practicing and you will become better and you will know when it's time for you to start coaching. Up next is Nicole Dressbell. We had talked a bit before about Brandon Scott Jones, who coached Nicole's team, Bucky. What makes somebody a good coach? You mentioned some of the things you liked about like Brandon, for instance. So what made Brandon Scott Jones a great coach? For Brandon, it was investment. Mm -hmm. It was investment and intelligent enthusiasm. Intelligent Um, enthusiasm? Yep. Okay. Yep. Because he was at every show. Mm -hmm. And I'd been on earlier teams where it was like, you would think people would be excited to coach new teams. Maybe that's naive. But like we could not get coaches to shows. Yeah. And Brandon, who like should have been done with Harold Knight, like he was allowed to punch his card, was there every week for us and then for the year after it there every week for the regulars um which is huge and when i say intelligent enthusiasm i mean like he laughed at things he was excited about us he felt like he was a part of the room but it never felt fakey or condescending it felt like he could always back up like why he was excited about something Mm -hmm. or why something was fun and i think that's really really valuable yeah i think that's those are some of the things that made him great 
Enthusiasm seems like it would be easy, but it really is the toughest part about coaching sometimes. Well, especially intelligent enthusiasm, because I do think it's easy to like fake laugh or like fake that you're excited or coddle. Like all Mm. those things are totally doable, but to do it in a way that is like on the level is hard and it's taxing. It's emotionally exhausting. I won't coach an indie team that I'm not excited to go be in a room with because it's hard. Coaching is is really, really hard. Let's talk about the emotional part because I think that is a part that people don't talk about. And I don't think I realized how much until I started coaching house teams, especially pretty regularly. Because you can't, not you, but an improviser can't tell what's making a good coach good. Yeah. And also like, I think a good improviser suspends their disbelief no matter who the coach is. A good improviser, when a coach walks in the room, will assume that the coach is right about things and intelligent about things, which means that, like, you could coach and, like, not be emotionally invested and, like, people might, on the other side of it, might not know that that's Mm -hmm. what's going on. But for great coaches, yeah, it is an emotional investment. Like, you're there every step of the way thinking, rooting for them, uh, problem solving the herald while you're watching it while Mm -hmm. also trying to enjoy it which are two difficult things to do and also trying to put your head hopefully in or put your brain in the head of every improviser which is like okay well i know so and so should be grounding but is there a reason why they're not making the choice to ground oh you know what i keep giving them the choice to roll with the unusual thing so now they're underreacting to it mm-hmm. so when i tell them that what it needed was more reacting i need to frame it in the way of like i know why you didn't do it i know what was going on in your head but here's like the pendulum swinging the other way that's a hard if you're doing it that's really hard to do it for an extended period of time it's Fucking fuck impossible if you've been doing improv for 10 years and you don't care about the people you're in a room with. You can't do it. I can't do it. I could not show up and coach people that I didn't probably like. I would say I'm coaching. I'm wrapping up coaching. But for the four teams I'm coaching right now, the vast majority of them have people who it's like, oh, if you needed it, I'd adopt you. And if it doesn't have that, it's like too hard to do. Yeah, exactly. Every show I watch when it doesn't go well, my assumption is it's I'm a bad coach. Yeah. I, I failed some way. And when I'm doing a Herald, I any show that doesn't go well, I think I failed the coach. Like it's so one's. It's all it's so egocentric and one sided of that. I remember there was something else that I wanted to say Brandon Scott Jones did really well, which is like he was the ninth presence in the room but not the ninth member of the team and I don't know that I'm even articulating that right but what I mean is it really felt like a lot of why Bucky was good is due to Brandon Scott Jones Mm -hmm. a lot of it but at the time it did not feel like if we were in a room without Brandon we wouldn't be Bucky and he did that to be a hundred percent in the room but not make yourself the ninth member of the team is really big and I don't know how to do it I can't do it I'm as a coach like I constantly want to be the the ex-member of the team and I think the ability to do that is what makes a coach really spectacular yeah. like we were okay when Brandon left yeah we were unchanged he put us in a really good spot for a year and are able to be Bucky forever and ever and always and I don't know that I could do that for a team I think I make I'm too codependent and I think that's yeah. part of the like if you're in the booth like making it about you not not that that's what you're saying but I do that like I live yeah. and die by it I fucked up I should have been working on this with them I whatever it takes something away from thinking of the team as its own thing yeah and I I don't know how to get that in check and I may not coach or teach long enough to know how to get that in check. Yeah. But I think if you can, like you are the greatest. 
it's it's such a a, a tough just balancing act to do. Yeah. Because yeah, you have to invest so much while still you guys have this, mm-hmm. right? It's like you need to be as quiet as possible and then find those things where, oh, I'm just laying out this. Now you guys keep walking. Right. And maybe it's like being an uncle, not a dad or an aunt, not a mom. And yeah. I don't know how to set that. Like I'm invested. I care about you. I'm fully here for you. But like you're not mine. And yeah. I don't, I'm not yours. Like how, you know, an, an aunt's not yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But a mom is. What are some other things that you have stolen from great, coaches you've had in the past that you were like, this is something that I saw somebody else do that now you try to embody when you coach a team? That's a good question. I worry that like when I was being coached, I was so not, I worry. I know beyond any doubt when I was being coached, I was so desperate for approval moment to moment that I did not take in any of the experiences I was having. Mm -hmm. So there are not like concrete things that I could observe because I was not observing my coaches. I was just reading them for approval. How does that change? Because I think I'm very much the same way. And so I'm very cognizant of whom have I complimented for what things in every practice Mm -hmm. for that same reason of like, I know even just pointing out that, oh, hey, Brandon, you made this great move here. Great. Oh, Rachel, you saw this because I remember getting, feeling those little scraps and they were feasts to me. Yes. I remember once going in to teach me it was a 201 or it was a 401 class and just having a flash of remembering how desperate you were for a win when you started a class it felt like I can't start learning until I know I've gotten a win under my belt and a win is just like a scene that you convince yourself went well enough that like people in the room have seen you do better work and like suddenly being aware that like oh my god I'm about to walk into a room with 16 people who all need a win was like I can never think about this again because like I just feel sucked dry immediately the like badness that I feel for them for what they're feeling right now Mm -hmm. but yeah being conscious of like i don't want to be that much harder on this person because i haven't given them a good note in a little while so i need to look for something that they're doing and like really build it up is definitely something that i'm conscious of do you have a rule about how long you'll coach a team for anything like that i feel like anything past a year is your it sort of starts to become unfair to the team Mm -hmm. unless at that year mark you're doing something really cool that is new to you and new to them i think a year is probably the longest i've been fortunate lately in that like circumstances either classes that i'm teaching or things that i have to do sort of bring things to natural conclusions before you have to start thinking about that Mm. but like i remember with former business partners coming up on a year or maybe longer and being like I need to stop coaching this team because the practices don't feel like practices and I'm taking their money and it's not but like I can't make myself not want to show up hang out with them yeah that was Nicole now here is Ray with a bit more on investment when you just do a, a group a, a one-off or a, for a week or two or a few weeks it's different than when you dedicate yourself to a team for like uh, you know this is the long haul yeah. and you know that they have these goals and you have these goals for them and you do and like I think people think they pay you for that hour and that's it but it's like if you're if you're working with someone for the long haul I don't have a natural library of things yeah. so if I see something that your 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 team's at fault with I'll research things to help with that it's very emotionally draining. Oh, yeah. When we, oh, yeah. I'm coaching two Lloyd teams right now, and yeah. they perform an alternating week. Oh, boy. So, you're there every week. Exactly. But it is like the part about it's way more than those three hours. Yeah. It's this little moleskin right here I right. use both for this podcast. And I, right. I woke up at 6 a.m. the other, the, like last week, and I had ideas for like, this is what I want to do with 17. This is what I want to do with Judy right. Big Mouth. And it was just it hit me of this is what I need to work on with each of them. Yeah. And it's very... It's rewarding, I hope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. But there is that feeling of... 
if these weren't te- two teams that I really enjoyed coaching yes. and that had very distinct different aspects that I can work on each one with. Yeah. It's too much. It's yeah. so much. Right. Even just coaching one team it becomes you're worried about it. You're constantly feeling, are they getting better? Yeah. Am I helping? Yeah, you, I put it on your, you put it on yourself. Like All they, the time. If, if, you feel like they, if you feel like they don't feel good, you instantly don't feel good. You yeah. feel like it's on you. That was Ray. The next episode is going to go more into coaching house teams and being coached while on a house team. But finally, here is a bit more from Lou Gonzalez. As a coach, my job isn't to make you do the best version of the scene I would have done. Yeah. My job is to find out what it is it that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And that's the trick of coaching because you can't it's easier to do it to people that line up with your way of thinking. It's very it's hard to do it when someone's not lining up with your way of thinking. It doesn't mean that they're a bad player or you're a bad coach. It just means that there's a disconnect somewhere. Mm-hmm. And your job as a coach is to figure out what is it. That's tricky. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I had I had a couple I had a couple people like that in my one on one and I just had to like dig through the bullshit to like, okay, that's why right. you're this way. Cut it out, stop. Right. <laughs> Cut it out, you're fine. That was Lou. If you think you're ready to coach, try it out. Becoming a better coach made me a better improviser. Seeing things that other people did well or not well and quickly diagnosing them made me able to do the same thing while inside scenes. When I'm in an improv slump, I find it's often because I've stopped doing the very things I tell other people to do. Justification, commitment, so on and so on. And watching other teams and having to say... In a brief form, this is what I want you to do, made me codify even more succinctly my beliefs about comedy and about improv. And know that coaching is an investment. It's an emotional investment and it's a time investment. If your emotional reservoir isn't full enough to take on another team, then don't. Take a break. Coach less. I've taken about almost a year off from coaching and it's helped a lot. That's partly due to time and money. I can make more money working than I can coaching, and I've decided to spend more of my free time writing than coaching. But it's also because I coached a lot of great house teams, and then I needed some time not doing that at all. Right now, I get to coach here and there for fun, which is a lot better for both me and the people I'm coaching. Finally, one last thing. If you're coaching, talk to other coaches. I was very lucky in that I was roommates with Nicole Dressbell and Chris Scott, who are two of the best coaches in New York City. We spent so many nights talking about problems we had with teams and how we dealt with them or asking each other how we could deal with them. We would talk about new exercises we'd tried. That made all three of us better. And it was also really fun. Nerdy fun, but still fun. Coaching part two should be out in mid-January. As I mentioned earlier, I had a lot of production help with this episode from Alejandro Cardona, who did a first pass on the massive amount of audio for this, cleaned it up, and gave me a lot of feedback on what to use and what could be skipped. He has started a YouTube channel of video essays called Curio Essays, all one word. You can find it on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. His first video essay is a history of presidential impersonators, and it's great, so check it out. That was episode 22, Coaching Part 1. 
Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And if you have any feedback for me, please send it to improv at curtisrutherford.com. R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. Also, if you want to help pay for the hosting costs for this podcast, you can do so via my Patreon. Patreon.com slash actuallycurtis. Thank you so much to everyone who's already done so, and thanks to everyone who is part of this episode. Bill DePiro. I am Achilles Stamatolaki. Hi, I'm Lily Dew. Devin Ritchie. I am Chris Scott. Hi, I'm Jenny San Angelo. Uh, Liz Noth. Lou Gonzalez. Sebastian Canelli. Ray Cordova. Nicole Dressbell. Alejandro Cardona. And I'm Curtis Rutherford. <laughs>